0: Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class.
1: We're talking about um, the third bracha of the Shema, Kedusha, we're in the middle of it. So the first three brachot are seen as a set, which talk about God, Up first blessing was called Avot, God's relationship to our ancestors. Uh Second, Givurot, God's power. And this is Kedushah, God's holiness. So we talked last time about what does holiness mean? And like many value concepts, it didn't. we were not able to come up with a precise definition. Uh, some things that were said were, when we say God is holy, uh, one was extremely separate and different than anything else, or as we would say in bad English, very unique, as opposed to unique. Very, very unique. Okay. Um, absolutely moral. Uh, we said awe-inspiring. Someone said godly, which means we got in a loop saying God is holy and holiness means godly. So, you know, uh, we used one word to explain the other and then the second word to explain the first I think there were there might have been one or two other things. So we talked about so we start out saying Ataka dosh, you God are holy, awe inspi sorry, holy, meaning godly, awe inspiring, moral. I'm not sure I agreed with, with that one. Uh unique in a category of one. Any other things that I forgot, by the way, or things that you thought about between last week and this week that you'd like to throw in there as a definition of holy. I feel it's like Lahavdil, the Supreme Court's old definition of pornography, right? I'm not sure how to define it, but I know it when I see it, right? So for most of us, if we've encountered a person, a moment, a situation of holiness— We have felt that. And if I said to you, oh, I need you now to put that into words, that would be a hard, it's a hard thing to do. Okay. Um, So we say, whatever this elusive word means, God, you are holy. Okay. Mela, as we say. Vishimcha Kadosh. And your name is holy. So what does that mean? Okay, uh, if God is somehow a thing or a concept or an entity, okay. So maybe I can follow you w- with um, maybe we can follow our definitions. God is, but what does it mean to say God's name is holy? And then we'll talk about the Kadoshim, the holy ones who praise you. Any thoughts about what does it mean when we say God's name is holy?
2: The floor yes, is so open,
1: we'll... Michael
2: yeah for one thing, to the extent that we think of holy as meaning separate, separated from us and not readily available to us, and we know that that nobody knows God's name. It can't be pronounced. we don't know how to say it. And so to the extent that we're talking about separateness and that I think that qualifies just the fact that we can't even know
1: god's name okay, good. and by the way, and when was in ancient times when was God's name said?
2: On Yom Kippur, by the Kohen
1: Gadol in the Holy of Holies, where nobody else heard it. Well, actually, he came out. Uh, he came out of the. Your yes, but you mixed it up a little. He actually came out of the Holy of Holies, and he did recite something, and people could hear it. And what did they oh. do? What did people do when they heard it?
2: I assume they fell to the to the ground.
1: Right. So we reenact that in the Avoda service. They fell on their faces and they said, Baruch. Shame, kivod, mahuto, leolam, vaed. Blessed is, shame, kivod, blessed is the, the name of the glory of his sovereignty forever and ever. By the way, and uh, and it's a little bit ambiguous in the story, in the narrative. Did they actually hear Hashem's name and then they said that? Or did they actually fall on their faces and say that so that they might not hear Hashem's name because mm. it was so holy, not a hundred percent clear, okay um i I felt there were rustlings, and other people wanted to say something about God's name.
0: just this might be a little tangential, but in talking about the holiness of God's name um First of all, this isn't really my point, but the first thing that came to mind as we started discussing this was he who shall not be named, right? Like uh-huh. La Have to Harry Potter yeah. and Voldemort. Right. But when you have these beings that um, that you can't name, it somehow puts that being in a whole different category than, than everyone else. It's a way of marking that distinction, I think. Yeah. Um, but to that point, to me... The yud Vavhe vav name is the name, the name, the holy name. So, like, we do things like we won't say Elohim and we change that to Elohim and, and Hashem and all of that. But to me, that's already a step removed. So, like, once we start saying we can't say those names, it almost takes away from the specialness of the yud Vavhe. vav Like, so... What really are the holy names of God? What really shouldn't, couldn't we say? Because to yeah. me, like, if you preserve it as the yud heh as the, the special name of God, there really shouldn't be so much of a problem with all the other names. And all the other names, I think, are de facto how we get around saying the yud heh in the first place.
1: Right. So the, the people who um, transmitted in certainly in Talmudic times, how we read the Torah said, whenever you come across the four letters, yud and vav heh you should pronounce them Adonai, which is already a one-step-removed euphemism, right, from how to pronounce it. And then we, the later generation said, oh, unless you're actually saying a blessing or actually reading the Torah, you shouldn't even say that. You should say Adoshem or Hashem, okay? Um... And or or even if you write God, you know, translate into another language, you write G G, right? All of these are ways of stepping back. And one thing you're pointing out, Joanna, which is interesting, which is because a, a, a byproduct of the reverence or respect with which we treat, uh, I'm going to use the word the power of the name. That's my that's my. Association with that in Voldemort, right? You don't say the name because somehow th- this this name connotes something very, very, very powerful. We shouldn't even say it aloud. Maybe that's not what you intended, but that's what I'm saying. um The problem then with we use the euphemism for the euphemism for the euphemism is it loses a lot of the power. Yeah, is that kind of what you meant to say? Sort of. Yes. Virgin. That's yes. at that's my association. Yes. Yes. Yeah, Uh, I don't know what else to say about that, but yes, Hashem this and Hashem that and Hashem that, because we have to have some way to refer to God in conversation, right, without saying God's unpronounceable name. Other thoughts about that, about? Uh,
3: uh, Avi, this this goes back to when I had a course in. The Bible is literature with Dr. Arnold Bann in the 70s at UCLA. Uh-huh. And he, ta- he was talking about different names of God and the absurdity of it. He told the story that there were some people in the communities who would say ginger kale, that they wouldn't even say ginger ale they because
1: that was the name of God. Yes, they still do. They still say ginger kale. All right, All right. Lest you, not even when you're saying a euphemism, you're changing it lest you actually be saying some entirely different word, which is a homonym with that word. And so you have to change that also, even though you're talking sure. about something that you're drinking. Yes. Right. Um, by the way, what's the vestige? Uh, I don't want to say the vestige, but the echo of Baruch Shem Kibod Malchuto Leolamba Ed. When you hear God's name, when someone is saying a blessing, what is it customary to say? Baruchu baruch Hu Baruch shamo, which apparently I haven't studied it fully, but is controversial. I believe it was originally a Sephardi custom. Ashkenazi authorities had some trouble with it in terms of whether it's considered an interruption in brachot in blessings or not. Okay, so actually, just so people know, uh, it is considered an interruption for purposes of. Once you start the Shema service, baruch Hu, through the Amida, uh, through your silent Amida, you're not supposed to interrupt with anything. So, actually, when you hear the Chazan say, Or Chadash Alzion Ta'ir, Oro, Baruch Hashem, yotzer you're not supposed to say Baruchu Baruch Shemo when you hear the Chazan say Baruch Hata Hashem. Okay, it's considered an interruption, right? Once you're listening to the repetition of the Amidah, you've already, you've gotten through the part of the service where we say no interruptions, no extraneous conversation. And so when you hear the Chazan's repetition of the Amidah, then you say Baruchu Varoshimo baruch for each blessing. But in between the Baruchu and your own silent Amidah, you're actually not supposed to. Um, I actually remember, um, so we, many of us grew up with, high holiday congregations um, where the choir went, (singing) How many people remember that? Eric does. Anyone else remember that? Right. So um, I remember uh, when we got at a certain phase, we got a new rabbi at Temple Betham who said, don't do that anymore. And then we had a guest chazen for the high holidays. It was in this period where we had a new rabbi, didn't yet have a new cantor. And the chazen said, and then clearly seemed flummoxed that the congregation did not go, <laughs> because the new rabbi had trained us not to do that. So the new rabbi on the Bima was totally silent and there was silence and the guest cantor was clearly very confused about it, right? But halachically, you're all the way we grew up with everyone going, you're actually not supposed to do that. But again, I want to be clear, only from Baruchu through your silent Amida. Okay, that's the part where there's no interruption. And halachically, Baruch Hu Shemot, which is a late custom, late means kind of medieval, like a thousand years old, which in Jewish halachic history, you consider that a little bit late, um, was not fully accepted by all authorities. And they said, you're not supposed to say that during the parts of the service when you are not allowed to interrupt which is to say from the Baruch till the end of the silent Amida. Everyone follow that? So when you hear the Chazin, you're not supposed to say Baruch Hu then in Yotzer HaMeorot and Ahava Rabbah and Gaal Yisrael, okay? Um, and in Heicha Kedusha, if you're saying the first part aloud with Chazan, if it's a repetition um, or some other part of the service where you're allowed to interrupt, then you do say Baruch You may say Baruch Hu when you hear God's name, if that is your custom, by the way, while we're on halacha, I did not intend to go here. Uh, you also are not supposed to interrupt a bracha. That is a bracha for, to full, for you to fulfill your obligation, which means if someone is reciting the hamotzi aloud at the table for everyone to be able to eat bread, you're supposed to listen to it and say amen. And you're not supposed to say baruchu, Baruch in the middle. So that would apply to, let's say, Hamotzi, Kiddish, Birkat Hamazon, grace after meals, any other food brachot. If you are listening to a bracha with the intention that it will fulfill your obligation, right? One person recites Kiddish, Everyone else is going to say Amen and drink wine. Okay. Then you're also, that, that's your blessing and you don't say Baruch Hu, to your own blessing. So if you're hearing Hamotzi and you have the intention to fulfill your obligation by means of that bracha so that you can eat bread, you don't say Baruch Hu, If I was walking by someone else's table, I had already said Hamotzi, and I heard them say Hamotzi, then I could say Baruch Hu, I Shemot. Everyone follow that? So if it's your own bracha, you do not interrupt your own bracha. the same way you, you would not say, if you were saying Hamotzi, you would not say, Baruch atah Hashem, Baruch Hu, Baruch Elokeinu melech Olam, Hamotzi haaretz. When I say it that way, it sounds silly, right? Of course you wouldn't do that, right? But same way, if you're listening to Hamotzi and it's your Hamotzi that you're going to say Amen to, then you don't say Baruch Hu, Baruch did Alan, was there a hand? Did you have a hand? No, that was from before. Okay, got it.
0: Quick question. Yeah. In Shacharit, as you described, not saying Baruch Hu Baruch yeah. So, in the way that you just explained Amein, Amein is not considered an interruption, because that that's correct. your way amen, of saying...
1: That is correct. Amein is not an interruption. So, after Baruch HaTashem Yotzer HaMeo wrote, you do say Amein. After Habocher Vamo the the before the Shema you do say Amein. After Ga'al Yisrael there's a machloket, or a disagreement, because the Halacha says you must immediately attach the blessing of Geulah to the beginning of the Amidah, and Amen would be considered an interruption, according to most authorities, and that's why the Chazen drops her or his voice at Gal Yisrael, so that the congregation does not hear the end of the blessing. Although there is a conservative movement, Teshuvah, written, I think, by Rabbi Dorf. which follows another halachic opinion, which says that it's okay for the chazan to say Gal Yisrael aloud and for the kahal to say amen, and that is not considered an interruption. So there are different points of view about that. The traditional way is the chazan drops their voice, because if I hear the chazan say baruch atah Hashem G'al Yisrael, I'm sort of, I'm going to put in air quotes, obligated to say amen, because amen means yes, I agree with the theological statement that you just made. And if you hear a and you don't say amen, that appears to be implying, I do not agree with the theological statement that you just made, which of course would be wrong, okay? So the chazan gets us off the hook as it were um, from saying amen, Gal Israel, by dropping their voice so that the kahal, the congregation, doesn't actually hear the end of the blessing. Do you want to follow that? But again, but there is... An opinion that that is not the 100% opinion of the halakha. That is the majority opinion of the halakha and traditional Ashkenazi practice follows that. The conservative movement does have a responsum that it's okay to say amen. It's not an interruption. And that is why you will hear some conservative chazanim say gaal yisrael aloud, even when everyone is going into the amida. Joanna, did that sort of anticipate your question? I read your mind. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Uh, Avi? Because I, I know I, behind I, that is in camp, we were well trained that we're not supposed to say Amen after Gaal Yisrael. Okay, good. Michael, Michael first, then Alan. Yeah.
2: yeah, the the problem that I have with that is that I read a halacha that says that if you hear a bracha, even if you don't hear the entire bracha, if you've heard enough to know what it is, you, you say Amen. And so just lowering your voice at the end, it doesn't solve that problem. So what I have done, I I punt. I don't know. Maybe people have noticed uh, um, during the services on on Zoom. And, and I and I time it so that I say the bracha at the same time as the hazan does. Yes. That way you you never say I to your own bracha. So that Correct. that that solves the problem for me.
1: Correct. Excellent. Good. By the way, first I'll pose a question, then we'll come to Alan's comment. If you never say I to your own bracha, why do you say? I'll come back yeah. to that. Alan. Yeah. yeah,
3: I think I think the answer to that question is. Um,
1: no, my that, question. Go ahead. Say, well, say what, what you want to say before.
3: Well, what I wanted to say before was that I think the person who wrote the the uh, the tshuva on that was uh, Rabbi Rembaum.
1: Oh, thank you.
3: Yeah, because I, I, he I he's talked about that. I remember yeah. him giving a lecture about that I appreciate at one point. the
1: correction. Thank you, Rabbi remember And I know that Rabbi Dorf is a strong supporter of that shuva and says this is nonsense that we need to say. It. I, I don't want to quote him. I've never heard him say the word nonsense. He says, hey, you don't need to drop your voice. You can say it aloud, da, da, da. Um, by the way, the answer to why you say bo, in Eberacham HaVirushalayim Amen, is although in general you don't say Amen to your own brachot, because Amen means, yeah, sister, right on. I agree with what you just said. That's what a main de facto means. I agree with the theological statement that you just said about God's magnificence and beneficence. Um, the halakha also says when you say a series of brachot that are obviously a unit, um then you do say a main after the last one. So because originally Birkat Hamazon was three blessings. The fourth one was added later. Okay. et You don't say Amen to your own Bracha because I'm in the middle of a sequence of blessings. of I have finished my series of blessings and I say Amen. You will actually see in some Sephardi sidurim at the end of Yishtabach, right, Yishtabach, before the Baruch there's an Amen, El Adonai El Amim Amain, Because that is the end of the series of blessings that constitutes P'sukei Zimrah. I opened with Baruch Sha'amar, I closed it with Yishtabach, I've now closed a series of blessings, and Amen is the marker that shows that I closed the series of blessings. So you'll see that in some Sidurim. And it probably probably comes up in a couple of other places that I can't think of off the top of my head. So if you have a series of brachot, okay, then in some practices you say amen at the end of that series. So that amen, even though you're saying it to your own bracha, it sort of has the function of saying period, end of liturgy, end of this piece of liturgy. Isn't that uh-huh. what you just
0: said, one of the arguments for saying at Ka'al Yisrael? You've come to the end of Kriyat Shema Yeah,
1: except the problem is that we have an explicit Mishnah that says you must attach the blessing of redemption to the Amida without any interruption. So then the, the question becomes, the secondary halakha question is, is Amen an interruption or not? And then we're in the weeds, right? So all yeah. the medievals had opinions about this.
3: Alan? Yeah, regarding the, the repetition of amen, it, yeah. it's a, a little afield, but I've, if I've always wondered, why is it that we say amen after Hallel, after the inter, the blessing for Hallel and for the blessing for Sfirat Omer, even though we say amen, we actually repeat the blessing. I've never exactly. understood why we do that
1: it's interesting i haven't looked into by the way the blessing for hallel after saying amen you're also supposed to, re- supposed to repeat the blessing the, the yeah. opening blessing right meaning um yeah it's an interesting minhag question because for example for Svirad haomer like hamotzi or borei Prihagafen, why couldn't i just say amen and then go on and count the Omer. Why couldn't I just have the, int- the, the, if I can sharpen the question, why couldn't I just have the intention that the Chazan's blessing is to fulfill my requirement? I can listen with intent, say amen, and then count the Omer. The same way I can listen with intent when you say Hamotzi, say Amen, and eat the bread. I don't need to recite Hamotzi, okay? Uh, I don't know the answer to that question off the top of my head that would require some research. Which I definitely will not do between this week and next week. Okay. <laughs> that's it. That's it. By the way, if anyone uh, comes up with the answer or, you know, the, the easy way to find the answer, the easiest way would be Meyer Schwartzstein, um, ask uh, <laughs> Rav Yosef Kanevsky when you're in Shul this Shabbos morning, Epine uh, David, and he'll probably know the answer, then come back and tell us the answer next week. He's or, coming to
4: the my... library minion. He's coming to the library minion. He can't do it. You can only ask you because you'll be there too.
1: But then I don't know the answer. All right, Michael. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to say
2: it seems to me the only, the only reason for, for having to repeat it is that it must be a bracha that cannot be delegated to somebody else to say for, on your behalf. And so I, I, why I, would that?
1: I understand. And, I'm just saying, okay, you are now positing some halachic category or dictum of which I'm not sure I am aware
2: well, what I would want to look for is if, if perhaps, if I were researching it, that, that perhaps it's it, it cannot be delegated because it's too personal. For example, if we're doing halal as an expression of, of joy and gratitude, how can, you, how can you delegate someone else to, to express okay. your gratitude?
1: I got it. This could be the midrashic explanation of some halakhic thing. I'm just telling you, I don't know about it. I don't know anything about it. I don't know the answer. Right. By the way, this is different from Kiddush. If you go to some Orthodox homes, you will see different people saying Kiddush. And that is because there is a a practice that some people have that every household needs to have Kiddush recited. So in some traditional, usually Orthodox homes, although I've seen some conservative Jews who do this, they'll give each male head of household at the table, a cup of Kiddush. Okay, because mm-hmm. there's a minhag that, uh, Kiddush should be recited for the household. So when there are two or three households coming together, the head of each, I'm going to put it in air quotes, the head of each household, um, uh, uh, gets a Kiddush cup and recites Kiddush for their family. Okay, so that's why, because you might say, wait, I've seen other people reciting Kiddush, uh, uh, at a also at a communal Friday night dinner different people are saying Kiddush. they're not all listening to one person lead and saying amen the way usually for hamotsi they may be listening to one person lead and say amen um but, by the way this thing is no ob, there's no obligation meaning i can listen to you say hamotsi and say amen and then i'm allowed to say my own hamotsi and say amen okay that is that is permissible Right? And it's not considered disrespectful. Okay? It's just the halachic practice is, it is, it is considered just as valid halachically to listen to one person recite the blessing, have in your mind the intention that this is fulfilling your obligation. You say amen. This is just as, um, just as good, just as halachically effective as if you said the blessing yourself. Friday night Shabbos Kiddush is a little bit different because it has to do with households. OK, so that's why you'll see this differently from Kiddush from Hamotzi. You don't see it even in Orthodox homes like every head of household needs to recite Hamotzi for their family. That's not how it's done. Larry.
4: Thank you. Um I'm tempted to go off to continue in the weeds, but I'd like to get us out of the weeds and back to the original <coughs> question. If you don't me mind,
1: me too. Me too. I would love to leave the weeds. Thank you. Let's go back to holiness. Uh, what does it mean? I,
4: God's name is
1: holy. Yeah, yeah
4: I, I have an idea, but I also know that I have an I have an argument against my idea.
1: Okay, you may pre- you may present both.
4: Okay, so the so well, I'll present the argument against it. Which the, the argument against it is what I'm going to talk about is you is the uniqueness of um. Of the sanctity, the Kiddushah of both God and God's name, as opposed to the Kiddushah of other things like Arona Kodesh or Amakodesh, Kodesh, etc. Am, et Am Kadosh. Um, I think that that, and I look at this sort of evolutionarily, that the the concept of gods, of divinities, the supreme beings, has in antiquity and even to, in modern times. It's often anthropomorphized, Uh, and even in our own religion, and in in Judaism, there's there's a tension between the anthropomorphic God that we read about and then this concept of we can't know God. We really can't understand God. So um, it's almost like the Wizard of Oz. Ignore the man you see behind that curtain. Ignore all these anthropomorphisms that you're reading. They don't really exist. That's not really what God is. And then we said, clearly, we can't even have idols, because that's not only an anthropomorphization, but it's also a a making God symbolic. So we have no idols, but we have to have a name. But then the name itself becomes, we, we can't define God, but at least we can name him. So in the same way, we make that separation that, no, we don't really say the name as well. So all of these are... Efforts to try to separate godliness, divinity, this whole concept from our ability to, to, to control it, to, to know it, to do anything more than to uh, ex- do the minimum we have to do, which is to somehow refer to God. And that's one of the reasons, I think, for this second, third, and fourth degree separation from the name of God and the what I consider to be the ridiculous practice of the G-D. And maybe I'm arguing against my thinking that it's, that it's ridiculous.
1: It so, and, it gives, and it gives power to uh, the name of a Norse divinity. But go on.
4: <laughs> no, I, I'm, pretty much, I'm pretty much done. So I'm seeing that prayer of God is holy and his name is holy. These things are separate. You can't, you can't really know them. You can't really control them. But they are the things that need to be powerful in your life.
1: So we're trying to say something or, or, or point to that which can't be understood, can't actually be expressed and cannot be grasped. So Larry is a Maimonidean clearly, um, because he knows that Rambam said everything we say about God is anthropo- anthropomorphic by definition, because all we have is our human apparatus. And and Rambam says, and some people are shocked by the extension of it all the way to the end. He says, just as God does not have an outstretched, God did not redeem Bnei Israel from Egypt with a mighty outstretched right arm because God does not have an outstretched right arm This is anthropomorphic. It's using, it connotes power in human terms. And so we're trying to use it as a metaphor for power. Rambam also says, anything emotional we say about God, like God loves us or God is angry, is just as anthropomorphic, okay? Because he says, anger and love are human emotions. They're human categories He says it's inescapable that we anthropomorphize, that we use human categories, human images and metaphors to try to talk about God because we are limited by our apparatus. And so we say things like God comes down from heaven to take a look at what the people building the tower are doing. Right. He says that really makes no sense whatsoever in terms of what God really is. He says we're using human images and the same way when we say he would say God punished you because God got angry at you. That is also as un that is as inaccurate as saying God has a mighty right arm. He's saying there are things that happen in the world that we believe God are behind and we don't understand God's essence being or action. And so we do the best we can do which is we use human categories to explain it so we use our concepts to explain that which is fundamentally unexplainable because god is many things are unique but god is really 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 unique god is in a category of one and we don't (laughs) understand again this is back to rambam the one thing we know for sure is we don't understand anything about that category of one. It is fundamentally unlike anything else in the universe, says Rambam in chapter one or so of the Mishnah Torah, right? God is fundamentally unlike anything in the universe. Therefore, anything we say about God is inaccurate. We do our best with our imperfect language and our imperfect human concepts. Larry?
4: I was just going to... First of all, say thank you. You made my day and week by mentioning me in the same sentence as Rambam. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I have to, I have to read more and I have to think about that. Um, You probably understand how profound what you've just said is a challenge to my previous claims to being an atheist.
1: Yes. I'll just let that hang there. Okay. Um, I want to say one more thing about what you said about other things are holy, but God is more holy. Like, you know, Jerusalem is holy. The Ark is holy. The Torah is holy. Um, But that's different than saying God is holy. I, I think I would argue that the reason those things come to be called holy is because they somehow, um, draw on God's holiness or reflect God's holiness more than other things in their category, right? So when we say the Torah is holy, what we mean by that is the Torah somehow has more of godliness in it than some other book, okay? And we say, and the rabbis say, Jerusalem is holy, and the temple is holy, because these are actual physical places that somehow draw more of God's holiness than other physical places. Now you can argue with that, okay? So I, I don't, I don't want to say, um, I don't want to say that's true with a capital T. And certainly people do argue with that. And again, you know, Hasidic interpretation of Milo chol Haaretz Kivodo. Uh, what do they say in Aramaic? Late duchta... Uh, I can't think of it right now. There is no place where God is not. Right. Uh, there's, a, there's an Aramaic formulation of it. It's just not coming to me at the moment. Right. God is in every place. Right. How could God, if God has filled the entire universe, how could God actually be in Jerusalem more than in some other city? Okay. Uh, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We can talk about that more. Well, I'm gonna to try to wrap up within a minute or so. So we are saying, Hashem, you are kadosh, your name, which could actually be the name we use. Uh, no one has said yet name could be just a symbolic term for essence. Very often, name connotes the essence. Your name is holy, and the holy ones praise you every day. So, who are the holy ones? We said we've said this before. It could either be the angels. That sort of makes sense. They're in a category of holiness, but lesser than God. And we talked, if we said the Kedusha aloud, we're going to sanctify. By the way, I want to point out that word sanctify means we're going to holy. We're going to declare your name to be holy down here, just as they declare it to be holy up there. They being the angels saying Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. We're going to imitate them. Okay. So they're the Kedoshim. Or, and or, we are the Kedoshim, right? We might be saying, God, you're holy, your name is holy. And we, B'nai Israel, who are davening, sanct- the, we are the Kedoshim who sanctify your name every day by our, uh, I mean, in the simple sense, by our prayers. You can certainly make a, a, a sermon out of it and say by our actions and how we live. I don't think that's the pshat. I think that's the sermon, right? I think the pshat is because we just said the Kedusha. When we said the Kedusha, when we describe your holiness, just like the Ark or the Torah or the Temple or Jerusalem, we are somehow drawing down into ourselves or connecting with, reflecting, might be a better word, a little bit of your holiness. We're attempting to reflect a little bit of God's holiness when we say Kadosh, 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 right? So in imitating the angels, the angels who, according to classic Judaism, you know, are, are robot creatures with no will of their own, only fulfilling God's will. Okay. So the angels, whatever power they have is a reflection of God's power because it is granted to them by God. So, and they praise God's name. So we, Praise God also, like the angels do, hoping that in doing that, we put ourselves in a category of beings who reflect a little bit of God's holiness, uniqueness, moralness, power, divinity, something like that. Uh, by the way, footnote, I don't want to spoil the moment, but footnote, there are stories like in the Talmud about using God's name for powerful purposes, like magicians who use the holy name and it can be used for good or for evil, right? So th- there is um, uh, a certain belief in a concreteness of this. The actual name or the use of the name has power. What, what we moderns might refer to as magic. Okay. We have a mezuzah on our doorposts. With secret code names of God to keep ourselves safe. Okay, so you can call it you can call it holiness, you can call it religion, you can call it superstition, you can call it magic. I think there would be different definitions of that. But certainly the Talmud has stuff about the name can be used, uh, that the, the the power of the name can be harnessed by certain people for purposes of life or death. The golem, right? um okay uh any final comments and then i would like to go on to the next bracha next week meyer please Uh,
2: just uh two things as it relate to god's name um one is i think god's name is also his reputation Yes. Uh, Something is Kiddush Hashem B'Shem Hashem that sort of thing B'Shem um, Shemayim which I think is really important way to think about his name uh, and the sanctity of it yeah. and the second thing is um, the second commandment um, not using God's name in vain um, yes. which I think also prescribes a, a level of uh, distinction.
1: Yes, which I think is the third commandment actually although there's debate about the numbering of the commandments right Um but right, do not, do not take the, thy Lord's name in vain. Something about the name which connotes God's essence, power. By the way, that is because in ancient times, um, uh, if you took an oath involving God's name, it meant something. So that's why there are certain situations you were accused of stealing something, you would take an oath by God's name. What is our vestige of that in modernity?
2: When you're sworn in as a witness,
1: what do you do? You put your Not hand more. on the Bible, right, or I don't know I guess as a Not witness- anymore, doesn't man. put their hand on the Bible anymore, but you know when you're the president, you put your hand on the Bible, right, and you say, so help me God right that, uh, sorry, when you're a witness, do you put a hand on the Bible? Not no anymore. more you probably used they probably used to though, right, like hundred and fifty yeah. years ago oh yeah, right right so what what is that again- again what does that mean? It's an enactment of, I am taking an oath by something of inexpressible power and my doing that will, I respect that power so much that I will not lie. That's kind of what's behind that idea, right? I when I, When I'm confronted with that name, I can't lie. That's sort of what it means. That kind of oath. Okay. Uh, so some interesting footnotes there. All right, we're running over. Let's stop um, before
2: we go. I just wanted everybody to know that we do have two people here in the sanctuary, also Bernie and and Marshall. Excellent. We're in the class today.
1: Good. They. I'm gonna. I'm gonna make sure to put a check mark next to them in the roll call. <laughs> I wanted them to get credit. Okay. They get full credit for being here. Thank you. Okay, good discussion. Obviously, there's much more food for thought about this topic of holiness and people have written books about it and we'll all continue to germinate these ideas. But I think uh, it's enough for now. And next week, we will move on to the next series of Rachot. Does that sound like an okay idea? Thumbs up if it sounds like, yeah, let's move on. We're gonna move on. Great. Everyone have a great day. Uh, Almost Chodesh Tov in two more days. And God willing, we'll meet again next week.